How have you been, man? Uh, pretty good. Good. Well, yeah. Welcome to Texas. Yes, thank you. Yeah. yeah I'm glad to be here. Oh. Yeah, as soon as Santiago told me that, you know, you were coming down, I was like, oh, I got to go get lunch and meet him, <laughs> you know. It's always nice when you get to meet someone from a group chat or something, so. I know. I know. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I, as soon as... As soon as he told me, I'm like, yes. Oh, I didn't. I, didn't, I mean, I, I could have put it together, you know, like um, which guys are from what kind of part of the country. You can kind of yeah, figure yeah. it out. Uh, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. And, uh, yeah, it's fun to, to meet in person and, and yeah, to be on, on the pod. Um, yeah? Yeah, so I don't even know what we're. I really don't know either. I thought, why not? <laughs> why not just take a chance to, you know, we just had lunch. We, mm -hmm. we just uh, shot the crap for like two, an hour and a half. Uh -huh. It was a good time, uh -huh. so why not? Uh, so, yeah, I, I am joined today by uh, Pastor Andrew Isker at uh, Boniface Option on Twitter. You kind of can't go wrong with his tweets or where he goes when it comes to the scene here in America. So, uh, welcome. How are you, man? Thank you. I'm good. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm doing great fun to be here with you in 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 the flesh i know uh, can we tell them that that we're not disembodied uh, oh yeah yeah so yeah, we we are recording from uh once well for me once again i'm at the new founding offices down in dallas and it's a much more professional recording studio than either of our places but yeah no great chance to meet you in person and to have lunch and to get to know more of the new founding gang so yeah what what an opportunity yeah and i um i have to say you know publicly for the very first time that the food in texas is is unbelievable it is uh, we had we had brisket today and that's they're apparently really good down here at making it and so i'm 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 blown away by that uh too uh but no being being here is great uh it's fun hanging out with these guys getting to meet you and uh yeah and, and discuss many things now, there's a lot going on in the world right now yes apparently. there there, <laughs> there is uh and you get, you've also just recently started a, a, a podcast, if you wanted to tell the audience about it. Oh, yeah, it. I could plug that with to your folks. Uh, I, uh, with my friend CJ Engel, who is at Contra Mordor, uh, we started a podcast recently called Contra Mundum, where uh, he and I discuss, I mean, sometimes we'll discuss the news. If it's, if there's not a ton of newsworthy stuff going on, we'll, we'll, there's always plenty of uh, online controversies <laughs> to talk always, about as well, um, and so we'll discuss some of those things, or or just uh, you know political theory and and, um, and how it intertwines with theology. Um, we'll we'll talk about those things a lot. I mean, I I wrote uh, maybe maybe some of your your listeners don't know. I wrote a book with uh, Gab founder Andrew Torba uh, called Christian Nationalism. So I'm very involved in in those debates. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll talk about those things, CJ and I, and, and what it what it simply means for Christians to um, engage in politics in the 21st century. How, do, how does that work? How does it, particularly in our, our context in America? Um, and so CJ, he he writes for a Chronicles magazine. Um, I think you're going to be on a podcast. Yeah, I'm recording with him on Thursday. Yeah. And so, excuse me, he. Uh, yeah, brilliant dude. Uh, don't tell him I, I said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant guy. Really, uh, uh, and a great friend. I've known him for years. Um, I actually have never gotten to meet him in person either. We've only ever known each other on the internet. It's weird how you have these, you know, relationships with people that like. This guy's like a brother to me, and yet you've never shook his hand or I've, anything. I've like never that. seen. Yeah. He he might not be real. He might be an AI creation for all I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know for sure if he's a real flesh and blood human being. I think so, um, but uh, yeah, it, he uh, awesome, awesome guy, and uh, really, um, it's it's really an honor that that he's willing to <laughs> join with me and then have these discussions because he brings so much uh, so much to these podcasts that we do, um, and and really his he is a protege of of Dr. Paul Gottfried. He's that's been really his main intellectual mentor is, is Paul Gottfried. And um, you can tell he he knows, um, you know, paleoconservative political philosophy like the back of his hand, both Paul and, and CJ too. Um, and so the, the kind of uh, political commentary CJ is able to give is, uh, I think, second to none. It, it's, he is uh, criminally underfollowed on, on Twitter. And I mean, 
I'll say because it's my podcast too, but I it's like oh we're we're new and so it's not going to be very big, but it's like I if people knew how great CJ is, <laughs> they would they would want to listen. So yeah, definitely check that out. He has um, tremendous tremendous stuff to say, um, especially he like Paul Gottfried. He understands like the political theory of Carl Schmidt, for example, really beyond just like the memes. Mm-hmm. Like he understands it at a, at a deep level and how to discern some of these political questions of 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 how do you operate um when there's this powerful regime that hates you uh that you have no ability to affect whatsoever right how do we how do we operate within that paradigm uh that's that dominates a lot of our our discussion and so yeah we've we've been at it since i think february is when we started I think yeah we're on episode Episode thirteen this week, uh, so I'll, I'll be recording with him on Thursday as well. Oh, so right well, after it you, all, yeah, it all works out. Yeah, he he like he does like ten podcasts on Thursday, <laughs> and like caps off the day with us. So he's like worn out by the time he does it with me. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a great honor to to be joined up with him. He's a good friend. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad. And I I think that that's probably the most preeminent question for today's politics is that how does someone who is hated by the regime you know, try and get by and survive in the midst of not really being able to affect much change. I think that we've seen over the course of really the last five years, especially just how fast things move in respects to if you take one option, they're going to learn from it and shut it down or try a way to subvert it and take it away. Yeah. And so really, I guess, what is the general approach for you? I mean, as someone who had co-authored that book on Christian nationalism, which I've read, uh, I, I owe that book a review, actually. So uh, I, I, I've now <laughs> well, put my... It's not very long, so it should no, be easy. No, no, <laughs> it should be easy, right? I, you know, the nice big font, too, helps, that's, right? That's um, right. <laughs> so, but no, I, I, I've told myself I owe a review, and now I'm saying it to your face. <laughs> now I definitely have to get it out. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the preeminent question of how do we make do? And yeah. I, I think everyone and their mother from, uh, you know, CJ to Rod Dreher has tried to tackle that question yeah. with not much effect. Yeah. And so from your perspective both as the co-author of that book, as a pastor, someone who's very active in the community. Um, what are the avenues that you see for people trying to, to make do and survive and flourish in this environment? Yeah, I think, I think some of it is, it's, it's a challenging question because of, of the uncertainty of our situation. Um, you, can, you can see it, I mean, it's like, we're in this like choose your own adventure novel um, where it can go a bunch of different directions, and you could, see, and all of them are somewhat probable. Um, so, I mean, some people are absolutely certain that collapse of the regime is right around the corner. Um, other people are uh, think, you know, it's like like Niccolo Soldo uh, mm-hmm. is like thousand year American empire. It's going to be here forever, and there's nothing we can do about it. Like, so there's the there's like that spectrum of yeah. of options. Um, and everything in between those two, um, and so uh, I'm I'm somewhere in the in the middle, or I'm I'm just like well, I don't know what's going to happen, and so you kind of have to you know hope for the best and prepare for the worst, and neither one of them, I mean both of those options is kind of the worst in different ways, um, so I'm I'm hopeful that we can like thread that needle where things continue to decline and get worse, but then that that radicalizes enough people to actually do things and uh, build communities and businesses despite all of the regime uncertainty um, that discourages that, um, despite that, to be able to build things and and weather these storms and and come out on top. Um, and so I know, so you, you have to like take an account of, okay, what are your assets and your liabilities? Um, what do we have like as a people? And um, one, and, and the major asset that we have is that, you know, regardless of all of the shenanigans of 2020, you have like 70 or 80 million people who supported Donald Trump. Um, so like that, just take that as a baseline that the majority of those people are, have, you know, pretty strong right-wing sympathies. The majority of them would say that they're Christians. Um, and so from that like cluster of people, you have a big chunk of the population that more or less thinks the same way you do, that has that that is, you know, really part of this American nation, right? Has this American identity strongly. And you can build with 
70 million people. Um, and, and, and so like, that's, that's one thing. The problem is they're all spread out and not just spread out geographically, they're spread out and, and atomized as individuals. So that's the big liability of, of that asset. And, and so like just thinking through that, it's like, well, the thing that needs to be done is bringing those people together, organizing them the best that we can, leading them and, and you know, creating communities and political structures, you know, even patronage systems, things, things of this nature, um, where our people can gain political power. And, and like that's, it's like, ah, that sounds, sounds easy when you put it that way, when you just say it. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a tremendous amount of work to do these things. Um, I, I think, I mean, you look at uh, Rod Dreher, you, know, you bring him up. Um, I, have an, I have a book that is going to be coming out this summer uh, called, it's the same name as my Twitter name, The Boniface Option, off, after you know, Rod Dreher's book. Like, I read Dreher's book when it came out, I think, 2017. And everyone was a buzz about it. Oh, this is great. This is terrible. Whatever. I, I read it and I thought, well, there's some good stuff here for yeah. sure. Um, but at the same time, there's like no solution. It's just, all right, we fall back to the monastery and then profit. Uh, and it's like that. That this then we save the West somehow. Um, like that's a he's he's presenting a a near term strategy, but nothing beyond. All right, fall back and then what? Yeah. Right. Fall back and then what? Um, he kind of just wants you to put that together for yourself. And maybe it's because he is like anti Schmidt pilled that he can't he can't say, All right, you fall back, you consolidate power where you can, and then you crush your enemies. Um, that's the next step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the obvious <laughs> next step is like they want to put, you know, trannies in your in your public school. No. You know, like you like I mean that's the thing, like where I am, um, I've been like, you know, I can probably say this publicly because I don't know if they're actually going to do it. Um, but I've been lobbying my city council people mm-hmm. uh, because in Minnesota, the um, the city every city council can pass a city ordinance that uh, criminal city ordinances that um, are you know are misdemeanor, ninety days in jail, thousand dollar fine, and I'm like, you need to pass a city ordinance that um, displaying pornography to children and he <laughs> is, uh, is pun- or, or propagating transgenderism among children. You, you, could, you can filter through whatever legal you know, mumbo jumbo you want. Basically that any of the teachers at the school, if they push tranny stuff on the kids, they're going to jail. Like, you would do that in your city um, if you have the will to do it. And so I'm trying to summon <laughs> that will in yeah. these guys. Um, and like, like things like that, like if you're involved locally in politics, um, you can you can push little things like that to crush these enemies that we have. And if you're able to consolidate power locally, you can do more of those kinds of things. Um, so that's that's kind of your your you know drear kind of strategies. Well, you fall back, you build communities of your people, and the next step. Well, I mean, the kind of things that I talk about in in my book is then you fight. Then you go on the offensive. You go and attack. And that's I mean, um, St. Boniface, he, he was a Benedictine monk. Um, he was a Benedictine, Benedictine monk who left the monastery to go uh, evangelize the, the Germans across the Rhine. And um, he cut down Thor's oak and a bunch of them converted because of it. And, and he, he, he ministered to them and he was eventually martyred uh, by them. By my, my ancestors actually killed him. Uh, the Frisians, um, mm-hmm. a, a war band of Frisians, uh, uh, martyred him. And um, like you, you go on the offensive. You go and attack, and that's what he did. You leave the monastery and you go expand. That uh, you, you, that it's um, really a, a handbook for aggressive Christianity. Like change it because like you look at it, um, you know, Prudentialist. I don't know exactly what your, your Christian tradition is. Um, I, I know that you. you you post go to church every Sunday. Yeah, so, yeah. That's, uh, I, 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 I uninstall Twitter every weekend, and I have those two memes that go up, which is "Good night, go to church," and "Good morning, go to church." That's right. Uh, well, I didn't. I, I didn't grow up one really particularly any tradition. My father's dog tag say Methodist, but okay. a, a military chapel is a glorified social club. If you're if you grow up in sort of a, a Protestant background, because on, on military bases, I don't know if it's still the same since my dad retired a few years back, but it's just basically 
social club, non-denomination, by extension, Baptist service, mm-hmm. or then you have, uh, you know, uh, some sort of Roman Catholic mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really grow up with anything. So 2020 for me, I had COVID happen. My kidney had fa- my kidneys failed due to a, a birth defect. And so it was just like, all right, I try to find God. Um, mm. and, and I found my way within the Orthodox Church of America. But um, as yeah. I've similarly told other people, I, and I, I agree with um, Stephen Wolf on this, where he was just like white evangelicals are the moral block of the country. And yeah. it's like, yeah, like... The lone bulwark. Yeah, yeah. the lone yeah. bulwark yeah. of the moral order of how this country <laughs> works. That's why they're so important to Republican primaries. That's why you see everyone from Lindsey Graham to, you know... Um, <laughs> What's his name from the other Carolina senator? Uh, Tim Scott. You know, Tim they'll, Scott, they'll take yeah. the the religious you know talking point. Oh yeah. Even though they don't believe worth anything, right? At any of it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Uh, you know, I I agree with Wolf here, and it's just like I I realistically know that, like not everyone's gonna go go on to be like a traditional Latin mass person or someone enjoying the liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom, but like I think every Christian in the United States, regardless of their church or denomination, realizes that. There is a very coordinated effort to attack Christ and to attack those that follow him. I was yeah. so I was telling this to a gentleman named Anglo Ortho last summer. I said within the span of a week, there was like some sort of David French style article in the Atlantic attacking evangelical Christianity. At the same time, he had numerous articles about the Roman Catholic Church, and then NPR went on the offensive on the Orthodox. It's just like yeah. it doesn't matter what church you retreat no. to; they're going to come after you. Yeah, exactly. It's it it, and that's I had um, there is. Um, a retired pastor now, I think he's retired, um, uh, who was in Boulder. He would speak at these these conferences. A few, a few of the guys here um, would would go to these conferences, and, and um, you know, of conservative Presbyterian ministers, and and of this, you know, this one ministry. And he he had ministered in Boulder, Colorado, for decades uh, as a conservative Presbyterian pastor, and he would talk about. Um, like the Ministerial Association of 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 Boulder, Colorado, and they they would get together and they pray for you know local city leaders and things like this. And um, he, one thing that he mentioned he in, in these talks that he would give, he would talk about how Boulder, Colorado is like America twenty years into the future. So all of America is going to be like this in twenty years. And so these talks he gave were like twenty years ago. Right, and so he uh, he would be discussing things with these these different ministers in Boulder, Colorado, and many of them were from fairly liberal denominations, like United Methodist and ELCA and, and things things like that, PCUSA. And in Boulder, they would be either by happenstance or or, or whatever they would be like the most conservative ministers in the entire, you know, uh, denomination of United Methodist or whatever. Uh, and they happen to be in like the most liberal city in America. And so they would be there and all of these, all of these guys, they would feel this, this uh, kinship um, um, with one another, despite their doctrinal differences, very serious doctrinal differences. I mean, some, I mean, there was the, the Roman Catholic uh, priest was there too. I mean, these are differences where people were literally killing each other over a few hundred years ago. And so here they are together, you know, praying for each other, working together, working through, you know, different pastoral issues that they had uh, locally. And there was this brotherhood in arms that they had that he, he described. And he, he said, like, we were way closer to all these people in in all these various denominations compared to... Uh, our own denomination. We could have all these fights in our own denomination, all these internecine struggles in our own denominations. But then, like, on the ground there in Boulder, like, I was tight with Father Herman, is what you talk about, the Catholic, he and I were like brothers, you know. And uh, this is, like, unheard of. But now, fast forward 20 years now, and it's really this way, uh, or starting to be this way um, everywhere else, where I, I have, like, in my town, there is... One one of my closest friends that is not in my congregation is um, owns a brewery. He is a traditionalist Roman Catholic. Goes to Latin Mass and is he doesn't you know I don't know if he I don't know if he thinks the Pope is legitimate or not. I don't know if it really matters. Uh, but he's like he's like that's the type of Catholic he is. Like like if I were <laughs> if I were Roman Catholic, that would basically be where I would be. You know, yeah. uh, and like just that far on the right. Um, not just politically, but culturally, and and within your own 
Christian tradition. And so, uh, you know, he jokes around about like, yeah, you know, if this were 200 years ago, I would be burning you at the stake. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, know. I, I think we know. I think we, everyone knows, though, that the enemy's at the gates. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. And, and at this point, you know, that, that's been the whole big, a lot of discourse that we've seen on, on Twitter as well as, I mean, Speaking of Rod Dreher, right, is that whole back and forth between him and Charles Haywood about the concept of no yeah. enemies to the right. And right now, I think that the circumstances kind of behoove all of us to recognize that I have a lot more in common with you, po- you know, politically and culturally, oh, than I'm going to than, you know, the guy that wants to trans my kid right down the road. Like, it's just not going to happen that way. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and, he, and it's funny because, like, Charles has had that position a lot longer than anyone realizes. Like, he reviewed... Mm-hmm. Um, this was like back a few years. This was like during Trump's administration, but he was reviewing uh, George Hawley's right-wing critiques of American conservatism. Great book. If you want to find all the people that you should be listening to, <laughs> you're probably going to find him in that book. And Charles is just like, I don't see why Rand Paul and say like, you know, the, the guys of George Lincoln Rockwell's days, they probably have a lot more in common than they do in difference. And you're just like, oh boy. <laughs> uh, he's like, why don't they work together? And it's just like, well, Charles. Well, there's reasons. There's reasons for that. But I, I, I appreciate the spirit about it. Um, oh, man. But I mean, I, I think at this point where everyone is sort of realizing across the board where it's just like, yeah, things are that bad. And I think for a moment we can put aside these differences for the sake of well no they're they're you know it's what now two million people have crossed the border last year um and we've got an unspeakable amount of just regime sponsored terror uh, that's the only way i can really describe all, all what happened literally. in nashville yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it was state-sponsored terrorism yeah. really to go out of your way and have six christians martyred and then to go say, yeah, like it's trans day of visibility. And, and, and to say trans people are being under attack right now. Yeah. Like a, within, they hadn't even buried their kids yet. No. And yet they claim themselves the victim of the thing that they did. And and and, and that's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're going to get me going on this. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I promise no Fed posting uh, today. <laughs> no Fed posting. But, um it's it is it's astounding what they're what they're doing and and yet i mean i see this online like right now um there continues to be at least within like evangelical you know twitter and online world um this massive controversy over christian nationalism and and a lot of it is you have i mean there are there are like doctrinal reasons there are theological reasons why people have this trepidation um but I think a lot of the controversy is that, all right, we see the things happening right now. They're, they are, are literally the, the main question at hand is, um, is it okay for people to have their, their little boys castrated voluntarily? Um, is it okay for them to have their teenage girls have their breasts chopped off? Like that's in the mainstream. It's not just some fringe weirdo thing that happens only in like Boulder, Colorado. It's mainstream in America that um, this is happening. And there, what was the, um, was it the, the the tweet from like Libs at TikTok or something, talking about how or end wokeness. One of these accounts, uh, talking about how like North Carolina, like Duke University Hospital, they've operated on a three year old and yeah. like a four year old. Like it isn't even it isn't even like teenage. It's it's like little kids are doing this stuff too, and. And so you see millions of Christians are seeing this and seeing that the political theology that that their pastors have and their Christian leaders hold to doesn't have an answer for these things. It doesn't have uh, because because basically the the evangelical and that's that's the you know um, the dominant uh, religious tradition among American Christians in you know is some form of evangelicalism. Right, and so whether you, I mean you would you would lump like Southern Baptists into that, and then all the the various non-denominational churches. They're they're basically this kind of Baptistic evangelical uh, Protestant, and um, that political theology. I mean, largely is informed by dispensationalism. Mm-hmm. So there's um, there's all sorts of issues there where where um, a lot of dispensationalists they just completely reject. Um, doing anything in the in the, in the here and now because well Jesus is going to come back any day and and we're worried about heaven we're not really worried about earth uh, that's that's some some of the time you know they'll they'll rely on that like it, it produces a lot of cope 
uh, for for people that that feel powerless. Um, so it's it's especially I think dangerous in in these days. Uh, but also, they they adopt a certain pietistic uh, mindset where um, well the answer is always just Jesus. It's always like it's like a little kid's Sunday school class where it's like God Jesus Bible. Those are the answers. Yeah. Right? Um, and and so what what do we do about transient kids? Well, we just need to preach the gospel. We just need to preach the gospel. And uh, people are seeing this and saying, yeah, like, but if someone breaks into my house and is going to, you know, rape my wife and kill me, is the answer preaching the gospel or is the answer shooting that person? Um, and we know what the answer is. Like a, a rational, decent person, normal person would say, no, you shoot that guy. Like that's what you do. Um, and so you apply the same you know, standard to politics and it's, no, you fight them. You fight these people and you stop them. Um, and so Christian national or what's become called like even like the whole controversy of Christian nationalism, I mean, it started, it started really after January 6th where they were like, Oh, it's this, it, and they wanted to lump it in with white nationalism. Yeah. That was the, as um, soon as J six happened, that was the, the media's turn of phrase was to say like white Christian nationalism. Yeah. Cause they have the picture of the guys holding up the cross in front of the Capitol yeah. and things like that. Because they realized the tiki torch image wasn't going to work for no, them, so they had to go no. get the target right in front of the. Because they they see that the lone bulwark is a threat to yeah. the regime, and so that's why they attack um, Christians, as they want to view them as a domestic terrorist group, and that's, that goes right back into like Stephen Wolf's tweet, right? And so, uh, the the flip side of this is you have all of these people who who fit this description who are Christians, they're patriotic, they love their country, many of them have served in the military, and or their family members have. Right? They they love this place, and they've been here for generations. Right? Mm-hmm. Every family member has served in every war since the Civil War. And um, these people are public enemy number one. And and so like that this this becomes an it, you know, it became a thing after that. And you know, here I am. I, I would, you know, be chatting. You know, I'd be writing online. Like, well, that the way they describe it, that sounds more or less like what I believe, and that's not bad. And it sounds like everything most of the people I know believe. And and so I, I was. Yeah, really, I mean, they've they've done a really good job gaslighting. You okay. know, pu- the public saying no, like the guy that goes to church every Sunday and helps out with the elderly, loves his country, <laughs> yeah, votes Republican. Right. You know, he's gonna kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, we saw that during the election too, both oh, in yeah. 2016 and 2020. You know, the guy that you know flies the American flag in his yard is public enemy number one. And so, yeah, no, I think this is the biggest issue that we've seen. Is is well, what is the political answer? And it's funny on my way down here. I, I drive past this Baptist church and it has a billboard right across the road, which right next to across the road by the church is this like 40 foot tall white cross. But it says, you know, Jesus is the answer to all your questions. And I'm like, yes, correct. But, but how in this case, how in this context? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that's why, and again, I, I saw like Canon press, the guys that published Wolf's own book go after him about it, even though there was no, no one had an answer otherwise to his claim because it yeah. was true. White, white evangelicals in this country, the wasps that are still around are the ones that are the bulwark that says no to this. And if you took yeah. that away, we would be going and descending into San Francisco any day now. Yeah, every, everyone knows it, but we are, we are socially engineered. I mean, I, I tweeted about this the other day. We're socially engineered to not talk about these things and to believe that if you do, if you care about... Um, ethnicity in any way um then you were a bad person yep um and and so like that's that was what provoked so much of the visceral reaction to wolf isn't the fact that his statement was false because nobody ever said it was false um i mean there were maybe some stupid people that did that just don't know the statistics but nobody ever said it was false it was that you're bad i even had like i had some guy like show up in my mentions who is like yeah it's true but it's still sinful (laughs) <laughs> it's like what are you kidding me uh but this is this is like this is how much people have been propagandized into believing that like you know race and ethnicity existing and being like very real categories of, of people groups is is like this moral issue to even believe it um how do you begin to have a conversation like that how do you begin to how do you begin to say that like why, you know, if you talk about like eventually, thanks to Tucker, actually, uh, the conversation about demographic replacement has entered 
you forcibly entered the mainstream because of him. And so you bring up the the obvious demographic replacement of white people in America. And then the, the first question you should ask is, why are they doing that? Why do they want that? Right? Why are they trying to get rid of these people, us? Uh, why, why do they want us to have fewer babies? Why do they want people who are not like us to replace it? Like, why, why is that? Why do they want that? And it's... It's for the same reason Stephen made that tweet. Yeah. <laughs> it's obvious. <laughs> it's obvious. We are the enemy. We are the enemy. They don't want us. They want us destroyed because we are. We stand in the way of this, you know, utopia that they want or, or dystopia. Yeah, um, I mean that kind of killiasm that they're aiming for. You know, you are in the way of it. You know, especially mm-hmm. that. And I mean, and then they, they go down the rabbit hole. Then you start researching. They're like, well, why is diversity our strength? Well, you know, public trust dissipates. You know, public <laughs> participation and civic affairs disappears. Amazon makes sure that their workforce is at Whole Foods is yeah. diverse, so people don't unionize. And you're just like, oh, that hmm. makes. Uh, uh, it really activates the omens right there. Yeah. Starts getting me thinking. And so the one thing that, like, Dreyer's book was, like, really prominent about was, is, like, if you are a, you know, really, you know, church-going person and that you advocate for, and again, it was another term that I kept seeing trend on Twitter, like, cultural Christianity. Like, if you Mm -hmm. practice the gospel, if you practice the doctrines of your respective church or denomination, you are probably already in the minority, and this is, and you need to act accordingly. And to me, the answer that I found... Because, like, Dreyer's book, like, I agree with you. Like, he kind of ends it saying, like, figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought the answer was found more recently um, with a friend of mine, Ernst Van Ziel, who goes by Conscious Caracol. He lives in South Africa. He wrote a great piece in The American Conservative saying, like, the way that you go forward is building demographic and political concentrations of power yeah. to take care of your own people, to facilitate patronage. Like, things mm-hmm. that we have seemingly lost in our political, historical perspective even though it's been part of this country forever mm-hmm. since the beginning and we go out and then we start reclaiming what's ours or you know securing ourselves and for some reason this is news to people or that you just can't talk about it and that, to me that's why i thought gottfried's most recent book dr gottfried's oh, yeah. book anti-fascism of course yeah. for a crusade that's it that's your civilizational foundational myth post 45 mm-hmm. is everything is construed as fascism and I don't know if you saw this tweet, but someone was asking, talking about like the, the trans protesters and things like that. So what is it if I stand in opposition to transing the kids, trans affirming health care, drag queen story hour? Oh, you're a Nazi. Thank yeah. you, ma'am. You yeah. know, yeah. like yeah. that's yeah. it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that is. That's, it's, and and they, they frame it that way. It's, um, I keep teasing this and I, I get distracted by things like coming down to Dallas and, and things like that. But I, I, one of the articles that I've spent a lot of time on that I haven't published yet because uh, I don't quite have it done to my liking. Because uh, you have to be, you have to be very clear and careful with this subject. Is demythologizing World War II uh, and the World War II narrative. Um, and I, I mean, I say this all the time, but it is. I mean, I have I have relatives, you know, ancestors that fought in the Second World War, um, that died in that war uh, for our country, and yet. I look back on it, and it as the founding myth is 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 false. It's a it's wrong. Um, this founding myth. It's it and it's taken it taken us down this anti-Christian pathway. Um, it's that's the starting point of it, and and it, it's there's no way around it. Like we can we can think of it as this great wonderful moral crusade, but the reality is is that it's. It was it was a war to establish international leftism. Um, period. Like that's what it was. It was a war to one save the Soviet Union and two establish global democracy everywhere. Um, that's not good. Um, I, and so the way people should think about the 20th century and the, and the Second World War is that you have these monstrous post-Christian ideologies at war with one. Um, that's what that's what this war was about, including the one that we fought for. It, we aren't we aren't the good guys. <laughs> We're just one of the bad guys and the bad one of the bad guys that came out on top. Um, and especially if you look at like the the in term in like Christian just war terms like uh, Jewish uh, juice ad bello or use ad bello, um, conduct within the war. Like we were murdering civilians on purpose, t- tens and hundreds of thousands of them on purpose. Um, like that's not good. That's not. That's evil. This is this. It, 
you know, just that alone should get people to like step back and reconsider. All right, were we the good guys in this war, or we were just slightly less bad than the other guys? Um, and and so that that I think once you take that pill, though, like once you um, begin to reconsider these, then like everything starts to fall apart. Like that's the foundation that all of this is built on. Then you can question like, well, is democracy really that good? Like. Maybe, you know, or one, we don't even really have a democracy. We just have this weird oligarchy that, that rules over everything and then just backfills it with a fake election. Like, things, like, you, you begin questioning the whole system um, and reevaluating, well, there's got to be a better way. And maybe there was a better way um, under Christendom. Maybe having, and, and regardless of however the, the polity is set up, whether you have a republic or, or a monarchy or whatever, like, no, that doesn't actually really matter that much. But the structure of your society existing and having and believing in these myths like egalitarianism that like all people are all the same it's like no there's hierarchies in nature and there's hierarchies among human beings like uh, you know like like relearning those things so that that gets, that's, that gets into the question as well like uh the, with the lone bulwark stuff is um if if you if you in your heart of hearts believe in egalitarianism that every single human being is a tabula rasa and if you just educate them well and love them well they're all going to be 170 IQ geniuses that can dunk basketballs and, and you know win Super Bowls. Like that's no, like that's not like. Well, I mean, not even even <laughs> even Christian academic or even non-Christian academics will tell you. That. I mean, Murray Rothbard is not by any means the stretch of the imagination no. of a Christian. No. But I mean, he had famously talked about the fact that egalitarianism is a revolt against nature. Yes. It's a revolt against the natural order. And I mean, like a lot of these questions that we're asking ourselves here, like that once you sort of break past that sort of mythological mind virus over on in the west is that you realize that a lot of answers to these questions have been you know they're hundreds if not a thousand years old you know i was uh, we I have was, answers to all of them and yeah we've I, always I, had I, the answers. we've always had yeah. them we've always had them we've just somehow lost them over this like 75 year you know fog that we've been in like i was just reading um considerations on france by joseph de maestra and he's talking about democracy and like we're going to have this like council of 255 people and a nation of 24 million and assuming if every man lived forever every person could help rule their country and have sovereignty every 60,000 years. And I think to myself, this is in the 1790s with a country of 24 million people. I got how many? 535 members of Congress and a nation of 331 million people. <laughs> right? You know, sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. And in the same way that, you know, I was listening to my priest this last Sunday. He was just, he was talking about C.S. Lewis. He's talking about the abolition of man. And in my hubris for a split second, I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like an Orrin McIntyre video. And I'm like, no, you moron. Like... <laughs> No, your priest knows what he's talking about. He's not listening to some guy on the internet. Like these questions are so much older yes. than your actual, you know, than whatever your your whatever you first started taking that red pill, right? You mm -hmm. know, and so people need to realize that there are answers that go back much older. These debates about, you know, Christian nationalism or what is the proper way to rule on this earth as we await Christ's return. These were debates that people like Augustine and Asubius of Caesarea were having seventeen hundred years ago. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that's the thing. Like so much of it and, and so many of these discussions and debates, like I just I I feel like like just bashing my head against the wall because <laughs> there the historical ignorance is palpable. And like I mean you just read like Augustine's City of God. And you understand, yeah, that these questions have been thought through already. We've we've had these discussions. You read any historical theology um, as it relates to to you know, political rule, and people have thought about this for a very long time. And they had systems that that have worked. I mean, one of them. I mean, one of these guys that has been critical <laughs> this article, and I did I did the you know, Twitter space on it uh, last week. <laughs> this article where he's like. Every time Christendom has been tried, it failed. And it's like, well, Christendom lasted for like 1,500 years. So I don't know. If I set something up and it keeps going for 1,500 years, that sounds like a success to me. Yeah. And uh, like they're, just, they're just total ignorance, right? They, they, they don't understand that yeah, these things are imperfect, of course. There's, there's going to be problems. There's going to be sin. These are sinful men still at the end of the day. Yet... Um, God has, has has given us this this world and he doesn't want his people to just sit and be a dog that continually gets kicked. Um, he he wants us to rule. Like you read the New Testament actually, like if you have eyes to see this, uh, it it talks this way. 
Like the Apostle Paul talks this way to the, the Christians that, um, that I mean, when the Corinthians are going and taking each other to court, he says, do you not know one day you're, gonna, you're going to uh, rule over angels? Uh, do, you, do you not know this? Uh, like the, the, the New Testament, the whole New Testament period actually is transference of, you know, the, and the angels ruling the old covenant world uh, and the demons, uh, the ancient gods, and giving that over to the to man uh, to under in Christ, um, and like you see, like that's this transference that's going on right in, in the New Testament, and the world is being given over to the church. I mean, Jesus at the very end of Matthew gives the Great Commission. It says, "Go into the world and baptize the nations, and to teach them, and disciple them into everything that I've commanded you to do." Right? You're going to go into the world, and and teach these nations everything and bring them into my kingdom. Um, that doesn't sound like, hey, just hang out in your rapture bunker waiting for the rapture. <laughs> it, it sounds like, no, you go on the offensive and you go take these nations for me. Um, and, and, and so there's just this huge disconnect between uh, people that are like primed. And I think some of it is just the historical circumstance. Right? I've, I, I don't know if you're familiar with you know, Aaron Wren and his uh, three worlds of evangelicalism that he wrote in First Things a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm not familiar now. Um, but he he just basically said like there's there's really these three paradigms that evangelicalism oper- has operated in, in in kind of our lifetimes where there was positive world where uh, this is yeah really until the 80s or 90s where generally you you talk, you run into somebody on the street random person you ask them hey what do you what do you think of christians you know are christians good people or bad people they're like oh yeah they're they're good people or if you're like you know applying for a job and you say i go to such and such and such church like in in positive world they would say oh this is a good person he goes to church you know he's 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 a good guy um genuine generally viewed as positive um then you have neutral world really from like the 1990s until the mid uh, 2000s where it was neither good nor bad it was just that's just a thing you do. You're, that's one. That's that's like, you know, I, I go. You go to church. I like to golf. You know, like okay. That's 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 it. Um, and then negative world is really like from like 2015 on, where now if you say oh, I'm a Christian, people's perception of you, the general public perception of Christians is you're a bad person. You're you hate gay people, and you're probably racist, and we don't like you. Um, and so that's the world that the church lives in today. And so these guys who are like anti-Christendom and, and anti-Christian nationalism and everything within the church today, who are conservative, they're stuck in this like neutral world where they think it's like 1990. And, and that they, if they can just come up with really persuasive arguments, that's what will make people Christians. And they think that like cultural Christianity, like this nominal Christianity where people just say they're Christians but don't, aren't really, um, that that's really, really bad. Like like Mayberry, you know, assuming that everyone in Mayberry is a Christian and, and uh, that's really bad. And it's like, no, I would like to live in Mayberry. Everyone would like to live in Mayberry. Yeah, everyone, that, yeah, everyone would like to go back was, to Mayberry. That I mean, was good. <laughs> every, this is the thing with like the IDW as well. It doesn't even have this Christian veneer over it, which is kind of funny because to me, like, New atheism fell apart because it tried to simultaneously hold on to the science is correct on all things, including, you know, evolution. And, oh, by the way, everyone's equal. Yeah, and so yes. you, you, you either got the wokesters or you got the hardcore <laughs> right. human biodiversity crowd. That's yeah. really what emerged from uh, New Atheism. Between. Nothing yeah. in between. Yeah. Um, and so the Christians are just looking at these people on, like, two sides of the cliff. Like, oh, well, you know, good yeah. thing we avoided that. And, and so, but, like, I, I think that a lot of people, even with the IDW, and maybe some of this cultural stuff is, is that, there is that strong desire to go back to the neutral world, 1990s style deal. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend, academic agent, likes to call this return to French, pr- French, uh, fresh prints. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree that that seems to be the case. And I mean, like, that's not the world that we live in, and uh, it's not coming back. And and like that neutral world, I think the way I the way I frame it is, it is, it's the on or it's the it's it's the off ramp from Christendom to demon world. And and that's that's what that neutral world was, and we are now in demon world, like there and there's no like you can't just live on the on off ramp, mm-hmm. like you can't just park your car there and stay, like you're you have to go there or stay on on the freeway, 
and you can stay on the royal path, or you can diverge to the left or right, and that's where you're going to end up. Those are yeah, the off ramps. The, and the, but they want to camp out right there and set up their tent right on the on ramp and get you know get run over. And and but that's that's what neutral world was. That's what the 1990s was. That's what I mean. Paul Gottfried's um, you bring him up again. Uh, his article, his recent Chronicles article, um, was about is you know liberalism. And I mean, a lot of people want to criticize the use of liberalism or, or whatever, but like liberalism. Um, was the thing, it was, like, wokeness didn't come from, you know, uh, a bunch of left-wing people decided to read Karl Marx or even read the Frankfurt School and, and then, like, concoct these ideas about transgenderism or whatever. Uh, wokeness came from the failure of liberalism, right? Liberalism was not able to contain this monster that got out because liberalism can't contain anything. I mean, it could have been um, if, if you had a more right-wing if you had a more right-wing culture with, you know, um, uh, right-wing political power being projected and everything else, it, you could have had a far-right uh, version of wokeness uh, take over as well. Yeah. Um, conceivably, at least. Um, but it, it's just that liberalism is just weakness, period. Like, there, it's not strong enough unless there's a strong force upholding it, you know. Um, and so, anyway... Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Gottfried's literally only, like, reiterating the point that Schmidt made yeah. in concept of the political, you know, almost a century ago. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing is, we have not gotten over that. And people yeah. like to think that we have, and we certainly haven't. And yeah. I, I find that absolutely, it bewilders me, right? Because it's just, we've lost this historical understanding due to that sort of post-war narrative. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there, and I, I like that off-ramp um, analogy that you use because there was a, a gentleman called Pope Head. I mean, he's a tr very traditionalist. He lives in Rome. He's a, he's a diehard Roman Catholic. I love the guy. He's a great mutual. But he said, like, what this post-Christianity looks like that you are living in is a lot like the film The Wicker Man, where yeah. sane people are burned alive and people mm -hmm. are joyously celebrating and sacrificing the altars to new gods. And right now, child sacrifice is very much back in vogue. Yes. Yes, it is in, in multiple forms. I mean, obviously, you have... Um you have the industrialized child sacrifice of abortion, but then you also have like like trannyism is the same thing because you have these like um, Munchausen by proxy mothers who want their child to be trans because it's a status symbol. Yep. Um, and so they will literally birth a human being to mutilate him just to get social status. Yeah. I mean that's 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 a. a sacrifice to themselves to the god of themselves more than anything yeah um and and, and so it isn't and, and and some of it is like these these um gods reappear in this way i mean that's that's been actually a controversy that i've i've um engaged in a friendly controversy with with friends is i'm i'm of the opinion that these gods because there, there are some people that think like these demons that ruled the ancient world you know that our ancestors worshipped uh, in Europe and, and everywhere else, um, that they are back, right? That they can come back, and and maybe it's true. You know, Jesus talks about, um, uh, you know, the uh, the house being uh, swept and seven more demons coming. That that could be the situation we're in. I I'm not I'm not totally hundred um, percent sold even on this position that I'm I'm holding currently, but I don't. <laughs> I think it could be. I'm not going to say no for sure, um, but. I, I think that uh, the issue, though, is that, that, that Christ has come, the gospel has been here in America, and um, evil has been on the march, of course, and, and there's, there's certainly demonic force behind these things, without a doubt, I think. But um, I don't think that the demons are powerful enough to, uh, you know, to, to, to reappear and come back and be these, these entities that people are going to be worshiping and having having, you know, uh, Odin worship reestablished in America, or, or I suppose it would be, like, some kind of Aztec god, you know, Quetzalcoatl yeah. or something, I don't, I don't even know. Uh, but uh, whatever god, or they'll, they'll come up with new names. I mean, that's the other thing, too. Those come up, they, and that's kind of how it works. Yeah, they, yeah, I mean, there they, was a, a talk they, by the late Father Thomas Hopko, who's an Orthodox priest, but he was talking about the, you know, the, the, about the word itself, Antichrist. And he says, mm -hmm. for a lot of people, you know, we should look at it as A-N-T-E, like the antediluvian mm -hmm. or antebellum. Like, people are putting God, you know, they're putting themselves before God. They view mm -hmm. themselves as, as the God, right? You know, like the gods of the copybook headings, essentially, from Rudyard Kipling. And I, I think that you see that more obvious than not, especially oh, yeah. when you, you see things like, well, most of the, you know, kids who were considered trans 
are single mothers who have mental disorders and things like that. And again, you also cross that third rail, you know, that red line that people get uncomfortable about. It's just like, well, if you are a white, well-to-do, progressive, leftist, liberal, whatever, what is the positive role model for a white, straight male progressive? There isn't, there one. isn't one. So what do you have to do? Well, you have to mutilate yourself. You yeah. have to castrate yourself. Or if you, I mean, if you, the other thing too is like, why is there a rise in like, or this like exponential rise of LGBT identity uh, among uh, American youths. And some of it is like if you are a, a young white man, at a certain level, you early on realize you are at the bottom of the diversity totem pole. And so you there's only a couple things you can do to climb up that totem pole. One of them is to say you're gay or to become gay. Uh, and two is to become a woman. And, um, I mean, some of, like, most, you know, male to female tranny stuff is just these guys who get so into porn that they become autogenophiliacs. Yep. And um, it isn't even that they're gay. It's that they, you know, uh, want to become the object of their, their own obsession. And, and so it's, it's like, okay, that's, that's, those are the options for you, young white man. Um, either that or becoming, like, um, a right-wing dissident. Yeah, which it's, which way Western man is pretty much that question. You can yeah. either mutilate yourself or you can join the side of sanity. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's and there, there's every disincentive to, to doing the latter. Um, there there's really zero incentives other than your own sanity. Um, yeah. That which is I mean there's a pretty big incentive there, but um, that is I mean so I mean going back to one of your you know original questions. Um, you know, all the way back to the beginning, <laughs> circling back, um, as as you know, peppermint patty once said, <laughs> uh, circling back, it, you know, to, to thinking thinking through, okay, what it, what are the, what do we do? What are the options? I mean, we've talked about like the the Rod Rear idea, of falling back and and um, and reasserting strength and, and just consolidating. And I forget you you mentioned um, yeah your your friend who wrote conscious uh, caracol yes yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly, we're all kind of arriving at the same spot where it's like, okay, we're figuring out what to do there is, yeah, now you consolidate political power and you, you crush your enemies and then you advance from there. You do the things that our ancestors did always and you, you develop these networks and, and, and build up your friends and, and punish your enemies. Um, and, and so like, you know, thinking about those things, like, one of the things that I've I I constantly you know talk about as well is that there is this like glut of young, talented, bright young you know men who uh, you know young Christian men, white men like they uh, they know if they're smart they know they're not going to be well sought after by by the Fortune 500, you know, HR, W-2 work world. Like, they're, they're unless, unless they're, like, the creme de la creme, and even then, like, even then, one, you're not going to enter the world where you can become the creme de la creme because you're not going to be allowed into Harvard and Yale and all the elite schools. Uh, so that's, you're, that's already setting you back. And then secondly, you are not, um, you know, you, failing that, like, you're, you're not going to... Um, be at the top of the diversity hiring schedule for any place you would want to get a job. So you know that your opportunities are going to be much more limited than they otherwise would be. And so because of this, like you have all, like millions of young men who are very disaffected uh, because their economic opportunities are lessened. They have uh, lower um, uh, opportunity with young women. Uh, and so they are less opportunity with young women. And so like everything about their life sucks because of things outside of their control, right? It'd be one thing if like your life sucks because like you're an idiot and you've made poor choices. Um, but you didn't choose to be white and you didn't choose to be a man. Uh, you just were born that way. <laughs> and so uh, funny how the born that way argument has made its full circle back to yeah, the right. I know. Speaking of full circle. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and so like, you're, you um, you know, like that life sucks because other these other people have done this to you and done this to your society, and um, that can be that leaves a lot of young men vulnerable to being radicalized, uh, sometimes by people and sometimes by bad people on the internet, and um, 
and you see this like you you I mean you talk about like the popularity of uh, international pimp uh, Andrew Tate. Yep. Um, that's part of it. Is like this guy says stuff that's true. Uh, he he critiques feminism uh, as only a pimp can, um, and he and he and he just and he talks about masculinity in ways. I mean, it's obviously goofy, and he's you know smoking his cigar with his shirt very performative, off and, and yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. But at the same time, like he says things that are true about masculinity that um, young men don't learn from their pastors, right? They're not gonna you know. When you th- and, and when you think of it, like if you're a young evangelical Christian man in America, if you ask them, like, who are some of the most masculine guys you know, it's pretty good odds that your pastor is not going to be mentioned in that list. Pretty good odds. Um, and and there, there are reasons for that. Like the, you know, the church is dominated by women, the evangelical churches. And um, so the pastor is going to be very... Uh, this very gregarious, soft, friendly guy who would never offend anyone ever, and long housed again. Yes, I mean exactly. Yes, yes. Like the uh, like the evangelical pastor is like the most long housed guy in in the an entire nation of long housed men, and and so the young guy sees Andrew Tate or other figures um, and sees him saying true things that you're not allowed to say, and. You become you become a follower of this guy. You like this guy, um, and so some of it is like pastors, <laughs> especially young ones, um, need to uh, tell the truth about these things. Like that's that's in, in my book. You know, I talk about this stuff. The like pastors need to not be cowards, and they need to be willing to say true things. And some of it is like when you're young and a pastor. Like this is this is this is one reason why I could. Um, never be like a mega church pastor of like tens of thousands of people um, because you kind of have to be a sociopath to do that <laughs> uh, for one. Um, and, and like, I can't just not, I can't not tell the truth about things. Um, and like they're, they definitely can <laughs> not tell the truth. Like they could just lie their way into whatever. Um, you have to be a people pleaser to get to those types of positions. Uh, but, but young men who want to be pastors and, and serve in ministry, like that, that has to be the, biggest qualification is are you willing to say the thing that nobody else is going to say right that you know is true but they're terrified to say it are you willing to stand up to women um and say no um and if if you're not i I, like michael my friend michael foster um he you know had a controversial it shouldn't have been controversial but stupid that it was uh controversial tweet about when they're selecting elders for their church maybe you saw this i don't know um He's like, well, when we're, when we're interviewing men to be elders for our church, one of the first questions I ask them is, tell me about a time that you had an argument with your wife and you won. What's that look like? And people flipped out. He's a misogynist. He hates women. And it's like, no, like to be an elder in a church in Longhouse America, I want guys that are willing to tell women no. Yeah. Uh, because most of them are not. Uh, most of them, and, and, and that's the thing, even in like really conservative churches where it's like, we're only going to have male elders, right? This is the thing that happens is, yeah, they'll like nominally, like de facto, we're, we're only going to have male elders and that's good. But it's like, who's actually running the church? The wives. The, the wives of the elders, right? They go, they go to an elders meeting. You know, my, my uh, mentor and teacher, Doug Wilson, you know, talks about this. He, he, uh, he's like, you'd be in elders meetings and. You decide something at the elders meeting and it's like, yep, this is what we're going to do. We're going to buy that color carpet and yada, yada, yada. And then like 30 minutes later after the elders meeting is over, they all start getting emails to each other. It's like, no, maybe we should do this. (laughs) It's like, oh, I wonder what happened there, you know. Um, But that's like that is typical evangelical churches is uh, they're dominated by women regardless of like how the formal structure is. Even if they only have male pastors, even if they formally only have male leadership, they're still dominated by, by women. And so Foster is like counteracting that by saying, I, I not only want men, I want men that can tell women no. Um, <laughs> and, and if you're able to do that, like you, you are able to effectively change culture uh, in this big way where um, now you actually have not just nominal male leadership, you have actual male leadership. And, that, and, and you know, culture is just religion externalized. And so, really, you 
church is foundational in that way, where if you have a strong church that is in accord with reality, uh, then you could have a community surrounding it that swims, you know, downstream of reality rather than against it. Um, and I think that's the way forward. I think you you have to you have to have this, and you have to have Christian leaders who are willing to tell the truth about things. Like we shouldn't, our young men shouldn't have to go to you know internationally known pimps for their truth uh, to find out what is real and what isn't, to find out what reality is. Um, you shouldn't have to go to um, or listen to um, you know drug addicted Canadian psychologists. You know, yeah. you like things like this. It's like why, why is Jordan Peterson big? It's like well, you know, he told the truth one time in a, in a costly way, and so now people trust him. Maybe you should try doing that. Um, and so that is, um, I think that's that's the big thing. It's like we have millions of young men who are incredibly impressionable. Um, and they're going to be directed in one way or the other, and they're going to be radicalized by how how mistreated they've been. And so do you have answers for them or not is is the question to like Christian leaders. And uh, I and that's so I, I put it to them all the time. It's like if if we change the leadership in Christian churches, and I've seen this happen actually. Like there's there have been some guys where I'm like, ah, oh, that guy's squishy, he's always gonna be a wimp. And, these, you know, you just get these impressions of people, right? And um, a 2020 changed a lot of people. I mean, it revealed how wimpy a lot of people yeah. were. But it also uh, forced some people to steal their spines or to, or to find a spine. Yep. And um, I think things like that are going to continue to happen. Um, I think the conversation around... Uh, Christian nationalism is is starting to open some eyes because it's it's causing people to ask uncomfortable questions like uh, even the question of like nationhood and ethnicity what what does that even mean um, the, that's an uncomfortable question people don't want to answer or even no. ask um, and so like Wolf with that tweet is like dredging it out oh is like is having this group of people in existence a good thing or is it okay for them to be demographically replaced. Right. What do you think about that? And it's like these guys who are like catechized in liberalism, they don't want to answer that. They're like, oh, no, we, we, we're, there's no race but the human race. Oh, yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. I'm not listening. You know, like that's what they do. And um, I think I think actually getting honest answers from people um, and being able to have a conversation honestly, which is really costly because you're, you're making yourself vulnerable to being thought of in the worst way possible in our society, um, actually brings forth the best men because men instinctively respect courage, right? I, I see someone saying something that takes guts, and even whether I agree with it or not, like there's a degree of respect I have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so, like, you want to like these millions of young guys. Like, they're not going away. There's, they're gonna. We're, we keep making more of them. And there's millions of young uh, white Christian men who are who know the life that their grandparents had, their grandpa had is like, gone. Is they're never gonna have. No. And so, what do I do? Should I, you know, uh, should I become an acolyte of Andrew Tate? Or, or even worse people. Yeah. Uh, or your your <laughs> options are the way, the light, the truth, or a trafficking Mohammedan. Your call, right? You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's why I liked 2021 was really the year that I, I really got to see a lot of people show their spines because when they wanted to pull that vax mandate, I, I myself and a few others, we just went on stream and said, they, they made the choice for us. I'm saying no. I don't yeah. care what the cost is. And yeah. You know, I know quite a few people that did lose their jobs because of it, but you know what? They're a lot healthier and a lot yeah. safer for it. And I do, those are the people that you can go to and trust in those kind of circumstances. And, and, I and mean, most of the people I know, like, if they quit their jobs, went somewhere else, like, they have a better job now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 85% of the people I know who lost their jobs due to any kind of vax mandate, you know, they're in a better place now or they yeah. got to start the business that they wanted to start. Yeah. Why would you want to stick around in a place that wants to do that to you? Yeah, like that, and it wouldn't back you up. Well, I think it's all the more better that we're recording this in, in New Founding's office. You yes. know, why do you want to? Why would you work for somebody that hates you when you can go find a job or work for someone or invest in something that is filled with people that have courage that can agree with you exactly. and that you can trust? 
And it's just, that's the thing that just kills me about that. It's just like, why would you want to stay there when there are opportunities to be made? Oh, and I, I think it, really the nice way to dovetail and bring it into this discussion, though, is that we talk about what steps need to be done, where we're all coming to the same conclusion, is to remind ourselves that, you know, the history of Christianity has been constantly watered by the blood of martyrs. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're going to die, but it may mean that you may lose your job. It may mean that you will be ostracized. I mean, do you have the courage to be like St. Ambrose of Milan and tell the emperor to repent and know you can't come to church until you do? Do you have that kind of courage to do yeah. so like the guys in the past? Do you have the yeah. courage like St. Boniface to cut down the tree and to face those consequences? And I think that that's something that needs to remind every Christian, regardless of their denomination, that that is what your history is from and the cost of preaching the gospel and that... We already saw it in Nashville. You know, six people yeah. were martyred because of what they believe in and who they were associated with, which is Christ. And yeah. I think that at the end of the day, that courage, all Christians need to realize it because it's in both the Old and New Testament. Your beliefs may cost your life. And Christ made that abundantly clear. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Isker, thank you so much for, for coming on. Yes, this was, it's, it's great to meet you in person. Yes. It's nice to uh, meet another fellow from the GC, and maybe now with the Vax mandate <laughs> gone for travel, I can meet Gio or someone like that. But uh, no, this is fantastic, man. Thanks for, yes. for coming on to chat. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. And we can find you at? At uh, Boniface Option. I'm on, on Twitter and, and Gab, um, and I, I write for Gab News, so news.gab.com is where all my writing is and uh yeah uh, please check that out and i will have um yeah a bunch more uh, books and and uh at uh contra mundum uh podcast um on on youtube and gab tv and we're everywhere else that you get audio podcasts so check that out as well um we uh we have a whole bunch more content coming very very soon and on top of you know podcasts also books uh, so, yeah, keep your eyes open for, for those things. All right. Well, be sure to find all those links down below in the description. And once again, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you.